Welcome, Making Data Simple listeners. This is Al Martin, your hostess with the mostess. I have a guest host again with me today, which is Winnie Allen. You should know Winnie. She's a senior marketing manager of data science and AI here at IBM. We're setting aside the last week of every month to do case studies in in terms of how data and AI is used in essentially real life business. So welcome back, Winnie. How you been? Thanks, Al. It's great to be back. I've been good. I've been good. Hi, listeners. Um, I'm really happy to be back here to um, help co-host the podcast. So it's been a month. Uh, you did it a month ago. So uh, everybody's going to like you better than me. That's what I'm worried about. What do you think? <laughs> so I'm going to lose all my all my audience. I, I don't think so, Al. I don't <laughs> I think, think it's so. a very good possibility. <laughs> so what did you learn? How did it go? Did it go pretty good from your perspective? I thought the first episode went really well. Um, I was a little bit nervous trying to keep up with you, Al. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but um, I, I learned a lot from talking with Brittany Bogle, um, who's the senior data science um, team leader here and um, just learning about, you know, from her perspective, what people are looking for, you know, what are some of the tips and tricks in the field um, and just, uh, you know, uh, lessons learned on how to get started on an AI project. Um, So it, it was it was a great learning experience for me. Hey, um, I know you've been traveling a lot. We were talking about this earlier. So what podcasts I know you're a podcast person like me, at least I think you are. And, um, you know, what are the, the, some of the podcasts you listen to on a regular basis besides making data simple, of course. (laughs) Um, I was going to say that one. Um, actually I was, (laughs) I, um, I was just, um, made aware of, um, a new, well, it's not really new. It's just new to me podcast, um, recently and, um, it is called, um, bot chat. Have you heard about that one? Um, Bot chat? No, I haven't. And it's um, it's quite interesting. It talks about really also data and AI and um, what people are doing, and it has kind of a focus of chatbots. Um, and so, um, you know, kind of learning about um, what people are doing about conversation um, uh, analysts or analytics, um, as well as you know having an agent um, to support different uh, different things. So it's been it's been interesting. So I might, I'll give a I'll give a few of mine for the listeners here as well. I am a podcast junkie, so what I'm about to give I change on a regular basis uh, because, in fact, I got too many on here right now, and then I start not listening to some. But um, I would give a, a couple of recommendations. I do TED Talks daily. I, I mean, that's, that's actually the name of the the podcast. Up first, I get some uh, news first thing in the morning. Revisionist history. That's a good one. Um, if you got time, and you just want to be entertained. There's the Tim Ferriss show, but uh, a lot of times that's a lot, a, a long time for me. I listen to Invest Ed, like you're getting educated and invested. So Invest Ed. Um, there's also Invest Like the Best. You can't miss with A16Z, and uh, there's Brand Builder. I listen to Star Talk. All right, I'm done. There's oh, a few man. more here, but. I, I, I have to get the to. list from you because that. <laughs> no, well, I, that's, that's time, awesome. Those are the ones that are on my list. That's awesome. I'll have to get that list from you because there are quite a few new ones there that I've not listened to. Um, so yeah. So what message? I know you've got J.P. Morgan Chase on this mm-hmm. episode. So what is the message the listeners are going to hear here? 
Yeah. Um, so I was very fortunate and honored to sit down with Elanita Elanon, um, who is a leader of their um, quantitative research analytics uh, group at JPMC. Um, and uh, actually just this week, um, you know, I was uh, talking with her um, about her recent award as one of the top 40 women leaders in data and AI for her work with risk and fraud. Sweet. Um, so on the podcast, yeah, we're going to talk about, you know, risk and JPMC is actually uh, one of the pioneers um, to start heavily leveraging data science and AI and data um, in their uh, risk analysis. Um, and there are different types of risks and everything um, that they're they're doing to help improve um, at the end of the day, you know, the business, right? Help the, the, the bank make more money. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very interesting discussion um, that we pre-recorded here. Sweet. Well, last time we talked about the use of fraud detection, prediction, and prevention from, I think, it was a data scientist perspective. So it's going to be interesting yep. to hear this from a perspective of the client. Yeah. So I, I'm sure everybody's going to love it. Just don't love it as much as you love me. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Let's go listen. I don't think that's possible. Yeah, whatever. Thanks, Al. <laughs> See you guys. Hey, have a listen. See you. It's just a matter of time before all professions and industries are transformed by data and AI. Welcome to Inside AI, the podcast where we get under the hood of digital transformation, demystifying data science, AI, and machine learning. We'll talk to business leaders, data scientists, and developers who are solving real business challenges today. Welcome listeners. This is Wendy Allen from IBM. I am your co-host today um, for the Making Data Simple podcast. I am thrilled and honored to have Elanita Elanon for my podcast today. Um, Elanita, welcome. Thank you, Wendy. I'm, I'm honored to be here. So, um, Elanita is a co-lead of Quantitative Research Analytics at J.P. Morgan Chase. Did I get that right? That's right. Um, and recently, um, she was recognized as one of the top women leaders in data and AI. Congratulations, Elanita. I, I think that's such a wonderful thing, um, you know, and, and honor for your work um, and just uh, such an inspiration for um, the young women out there who want to look into, you know, going into data and AI. And for me personally, just because I, I think that's such an amazing thing um, to be able to, you know, show others what um, an Asian woman can do. Oh. <laughs> um, and so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's, again, such an honor. I I'm in the company of many, many great women at JP Morgan and really in Wall Street and you know in, in technology who are doing a lot of things with AI. It's such a great potential solver for many hard problems that we're facing today. And you know, I'm happy to make my contribution in it and I'm very excited to continue to work with it. 
That's great. So, Elenita, um, you and I got to know each other a little bit, and I think it's awesome that you have so many great hobbies. Um, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, so, um, Elenita, for those of you who may not be familiar with her, she is also a salsa performer um, and a, a salsa dancing. Um, so, Elenita, maybe, you know, share with the listeners a little bit about what you told me your interpretation of salsa dancing and maybe AI? Oh my gosh. That <laughs> <laughs> was an interesting question. Uh, AI and salsa dancing. Um, okay, so the analogy I would put here is that uh, there's a lot of data to process when you're salsa dancing. There's the music. There's your partner, there's the rhythms, there's the melody, there's the musicality, the, the different instruments that come on during a, a, a salsa song. And you have to interpret and react to all of that in real time. And then there's your partner who will decide what's going to happen next. And they're also thinking ahead. I mean, there, there's a whole AI thing going yeah, on in their minds as well. there's a little bit of predictability. There, and, I have you know, to predictive. predict what he's yeah. doing, what he's going to do. He has to think ahead, okay, well, she's a certain level. I can get away doing this type of lead. So there's, there's really a lot of data. The process is very, very similar to the problems that AI is trying to solve today. So I think it's great. Maybe I need to have AI injected <laughs> as a neural implant so I can salsa dance better. Well, this is the human intelligence, right? Like yeah, we talked about. Exactly. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, Elanita, you have worked in the financial industry for many years, um, you know, from Merrill Lynch to, I think, Bear Stearns to um, now J.P. Morgan Chase, you've been on Wall Street for a very long time. What is it like to work for a financial institute? It's challenging, number one, but it's rewarding. There is something about the finance industry where you get to see your impact on the bottom line, but at the same time, they value, especially increasingly towards today, they, they value role of a technologist and the ability of the technologist to solve problems in creative ways. The more competitive and the more successful a Wall Street firm is, is highly correlated to their, their openness to embrace new solutions, new ideas. And the more they're keen to take on that risk, the more they get out of it. So you're seeing, you know, financial institutions really making that investment in technology, in AI, and personally, you know, you're right in the midst of it. Um, in your current role, um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, the team that you work with and some of the major projects that you're tackling? So my team is what I consider the SWAT team of quantitative research. It's a, uh, a large organization for, for what we do, right? We, we, we hire the best and brightest from academia, mostly PhDs in the hard sciences, uh, including computer science. But traditionally, we, we have theoretical physicists, mathematicians, statisticians, increasingly more data science. PhDs are joining the organization as well. Uh, we have some ma a master's. I am a master. I have, I have a master's in computer science. But what we do as a small SWAT team is we are enablers. 
we want to make the human capital and quantitative research better at what they do, find solutions that enable them to run their models, their, their very complicated mathematical algorithms faster on, on various platforms and looking for the best technologies out there to deploy those solutions. So we're small, but we're quite powerful and we're quite influential. We have changed the course of the computing strategy and the investment bank uh, by doing the types of things that we've been working with you know, Watson Studio and, and NVIDIA and Intel and just a variety of different technology vendors looking for the best solutions. And we've actually made changes in the strategies in purchasing certain types of technologies and hardware and in the software solution stack for the investment bank. So you and your team are really leading the industry um, in adopting AI in what you do. Um, so, I mean, that's very exciting things, right? Um, so, so, you know, talk a little bit about what are some of the, the specific um, things that you're looking to, for AI to solve, um, like use cases type of things. Because, you know, when we talked earlier, you know, we talked about um, the challenges of, of risks, right? Um, risk and fraud, um, but, you know, risks in the financial industry. What does that look like um, in, your, in your words? There are a number of things we're looking at to apply AI in JP, at J.P. Morgan Chase. And uh, the one that I'm focused on in particular is the area of model risk control. So the problem there is that, uh, well, the motivation really is that we want to minimize the potential losses that the firm could incur if we use models. And these are models not in machine learning models, although increasingly we are now using machine learning models as well to price trades. But the traditional quantitative models compute the prices of trades, compute their Greeks and, and risks. Those models have specific conditions and constraints in which they can be operated safely. So those are very well defined uh, during our model review process. And we have to make sure that any of these constraints are evaluated practically at real time. That, that's, that's really the aspiration. But uh, realistically, we do this every day. And the type of data and the volumes of data that we generate are quite large. We have a number of trades that we're running this analysis on. And the challenge really is, after we gather all this data, how can someone make sense of it and act on that data? So AI is there to help us in all aspects of that problem, from specifying the restrictions themselves, putting it in a form that's automatable, possibly, easily, easily evaluated, to capturing even the, the verbiage around the constraints is also an AI problem that mm -hmm. we're looking to do. And then finding the results and classifying the results because certain things are false positives and don't really have to distract a human. So we want to be able to focus the model governance on the real problems and help them weed out everything else, which could be like 90% of the data, right? So we really want them focused on the important parts. Yep. 
So you, you touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, some of our listeners are business leaders and executives. Um, and, you know, you're in um, a unique position where, you know, you kind of speak the language of both, right? So you can talk to executives and help them understand what's going on. But you also, you know, have your background in working with a team of extremely smart, um, you know, people, data scientists and engineers and, you know, physicists and I think you mentioned this, maybe not. Um, but um, so, so maybe help our listeners kind of um, understand a little bit, you know, for those who are maybe looking to start in their AI journey or maybe to look for ways to improve their, um, what are the challenges um, that, that you're seeing, you know, from the business side um, that, that you're really trying to, to conquer? As a solution, I really view myself as someone who builds solutions and makes life better for all of investment banking and all of the bank, really, but, but my focus is investment banking. I have to start from a position of what is the problem? So I have to communicate clearly with the people who have these problems and, and find out what, they're, what will make life easier for them. When you start with that, you're not really going to have too much of a challenge because they would love to tell you their problems. So can you give the listeners some examples of some of the problems that you have seen or heard or encountered? The, in the area of model risk, which is my, my focus right now, uh, the problems are typically about the lead time and the end-to-end process uh, that involve everyone from the model governance person, the model reviewer, the quantitative researcher who builds these models and needs to maintain them and run them and and work with the front office traders. There is a very long lag time from end to end from when a model is first created to when it's reviewed to when it's properly used and then the maintenance of that model in production and a lot of inefficiencies in that end to end time. The solution that we're trying to come up with are ways really for the bank to make more money, right? For, for that lag time, the real end result to reducing that lag time is we can start to use that model in production. We can run it in trades. The trade just runs smoothly, makes money for us. We find out if there are any potential losses in the trade, stop using it for the bad models, you know, create better models, shorten the model review process. That all translates into money for the bank. So at Help the end of the day, banks make more money. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and reduce the human capital, meaning make life more interesting. We we hire people who are extremely smart. They don't want to be looking at spreadsheets <laughs> and reading emails all day long. Yep. So you know, um, risk is not something new in in the world of um, you know banking. Um, why now? What prompted? you know, the, the real um, search or the, the implementation and adoption of AI now? I think it's a, the reason AI is taking off in such a big way. There's, because number one, we have, it's a confluence of things happening. The, the software is there. The packages, they're, they're easy to use. The machine learning models are just off the shelf now. You can try, run them very easy to find which one works for your data set. The hardware is there. The services are there. We have folks like IBM, you know, folks from 
the, the various AI uh, open source companies that are, are giving us so much good information, good design practices to work with. So it is getting easier and easier to apply these tools to the problems that we have. The second part of that is there's a bigger expectation for us to manage our business better. Number one, because we need to pass regulatory requirements. Mm. And they are getting stricter and stricter as time go by. They don't get easier. We need to address these things in a more efficient way. The more efficiently we, we address these problems, the better an edge we have as a bank. And JP Morgan Chase is number one in, in a lot of, uh, of the, the league tables. We want to keep that number one position and staying on top of the technology that we think is going to be an enabler for us is, is one way that we're keeping that edge. And we're putting a lot of investment in AI as a result of that. That's, that's awesome. Um, so when you are looking at this, um, you know, what are some of the hard lessons learned in your research and creation and adoption of AI that you can share, maybe you know, kind of even dispel some of the, um, the fears or myths out there? There are lessons. I don't know if they're particularly hard. It's, it's more of something that I'm, I'm continuing to improve and, and learn from. One of the things that I definitely still run into is the, the lack of trust around AI. It, there is still a cultural resistance to taking on the solutions that AI and AI or a machine learning model will give uh, without having accompanying evidence and accompanying ex explanations uh, to support those results. So as in order to mitigate that, I have to, number one, convince my management that AI is an important thing to invest early in. There's a lot of pressure to deliver business functionality in the applications that we deliver in the bank, but at the same time, you also have to look ahead and see what types of infrastructure do you need to invest in today in order to really leverage on the data that you're going to start to accumulate over time. So my application, Morpheus, is about two or three years old now, but from the beginning, I've always told my management that we had to view this as a, an AI application, and we had to put in the, the bells and the, the strappings to ensure that later on, we can inject AI wherever we needed to, uh, at the same time still delivering on the, the core business functionalities that we needed to deliver on. So um, you mentioned, you know, you guys are one of the early adopters um, of AI, right? So there are some challenges maybe that were unique um, being an early adopter um, that maybe you can share with the listeners um, and, uh, you know, it, when, when they are going in to do it, you know, lesson learned from, um, from, from you, um, can you share some of those? So when we worked uh, with AI in, in, in Morpheus, the model risk application, we weren't 100% sure what things we needed to solve. So it, it took a little bit of iteration with our quants, uh, our business folks to 
try to find a good set of use cases that we wanted to experiment on um, with AI. And the application itself has been in production for two years now. So there's really not a lot of history that we can draw on uh, when it comes to, for example, using the data as a training set uh, for running our models. And so the first use cases that we came up with, with the first one was uh, around a recommendation system around model usage restrictions. The problem there is that uh, we have data that says, okay, this trade violates this particular restriction. What do we do with that? Because a human now has to say, okay, that particular case, that trade was waived, meaning go ahead, keep trading. Or, by the way, that trade has a maturity of five years. That model really misbehaves beyond two years. So that's not allowed. So there, there are certain classifications that you really have to pay attention to because they're violations of the use of the models. Most cases, that's not the situation. So, and the human has to decide whether it's something we pay attention to or not. So we have that type of historical data, but only two years of that. And when we tried to create a mo machine learning model that operated on that data set, what ended up happening was that there was such a straight correlation between the wording of the restriction and the outcome, meaning the classification that the human ended up doing. So when the machine learning model was run, we ended up having 100% accuracy matching exactly what the human did. And what that turned out being was that it was essentially a rule. We could have practically written that as a, like, if you see this text in the restriction, that means the humans probably, most likely in all cases, classified one so, way. So what you're saying is 100% accuracy is not a good thing. That's right. It made us suspicious of the model. So we had to go back, look at the data. And, you know, we had experts and data scientists. And even internally, we, we, you know, we, we realized this about the data set is that this is naturally actually a rule-based application of, of the classifier, and we didn't really need machine learning for it. Interesting. So um, you said, you know, you guys tried a lot of different use cases, and, and I think for a lot of the organizations out there that's looking to get started, that's maybe one of the first humps they have to get over, right, um, is to understand, okay, what am I going to actually use AI for? Um, do you have maybe like the top three or five tips to share on how to um, go about look for the right, and I'll put that in quotes because that's different for everybody, right, the right use case to really go tackle? I would actually generalize my, what I'm going to say. When you try to solve a hard problem, and there are many hard problems in the world, <laughs> always try. Try before you buy. Like, find a, a small part of that problem, but representative enough of the whole problem that you want to try and and cheaply test different solutions for. So for example, the, the machine learning experiment that we did took us maybe a couple of weeks to, to get to that 100% accuracy problem but because we tried it. We just said, okay, let's, let's just, you know, let's do something cheap, let's, let's evaluate quickly, and you know, let's find something else if it doesn't work. So don't over-engineer. Do small POCs, get some confidence in your solution, and decide from there. 
So not the, don't be afraid to fail, right? And if Absolutely. you do fail, yeah. fail quickly and fail then quickly. move on. Um, so I, I, I think that's great advice. You know, find a small representative. I think that's the key, right? Representative piece of the problem that you can solve um, easily, or maybe not easily, but at least cheaply, <laughs> um, and, and then go from there. And I think that's great advice. Um, so we are kind of coming to the end of our um, podcast. Um, I just have a few more questions. Um, if you were to start over, um, you know, this current project, what are some of the things that you wish you knew then that you know now that maybe could have helped you start differently? I hope hindsight, hindsight would be 2020 in this case, but I might sound a little too confident, but we've always applied really good engineering principles to the projects that, that we work on in my team. And as a result, I think I would do exactly what we've done before. Uh, you know, we've always looked at it as a solve the end-to-end, -end, try to find the points of friction quickly, build flexible, infrastructure around your solution so that at any point you can swap in components without hurting the, the cohesiveness and overall solution too radically. And I've found that that approach works great because I've had a lot of roadblocks and it hasn't really hampered our ability to, to deliver on time because we were able to surgically remove or iterate on aspects of the system that needed to evolve over time as we found out more and more about how this thing was really being used in the wild. Right? And, and I think that's the key thing. Just be, be agile in how you build a project. Also agile in your software, agile in your ability to, to fix things as you go along. Um, there was a very senior managing director who had actually called my project quasi-magical because with a very small, very, very small team, I was able to solve some really hard problems that a larger technology group had not been able to do so with the approach that I had, which was to be just much more flexible, find semi-tactical solutions that will lead you to a strategic solution but still keep moving ahead, right? Get, get parts of the complete puzzle in place so that you have an end-to-end -end working solution and then improve as you go along. Just make sure your results are accurate. That was always the key thing. Test, test your results. Make sure test they're good. Test your results. I, I think that's great advice, even though you said, you know, you guys practiced from the very beginning, the flexibility in the infrastructure and in how things are built so that you can, um, I think you used the word surgically remove or iterate, um, that made things much more agile. And so you can move forward, even if pieces of it didn't work out, you can 
quickly and more efficiently kind of replace or move on. Um, so I think that's, you know, a, a great advice, uh, even though we didn't call it an advice, but <laughs> um, for our listeners. Um, so one last question, and this one is actually very important to me personally, um, and I will explain why. Um, so I have a five-year-old son, and um, for whatever reason, he is obsessed with um, colors. And so um, he always wants to ask, what is your favorite color? So, Alanita, what is your favorite color? Oh, my gosh, that's so hard. Uh, I like orange. I like orange. a lot of orange things, yes. Very cool. All right. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a wrap. Um, thank you again very much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you. Um, for and it's me. been a real honor to be able to get to know you a little bit. Likewise. And speak with you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.